J.T. Crowley is Talking Books. On this show, you'll hear from emerging talent and seasoned veterans from around the world. They'll give you their take on the writing process and how to create the secret sauce of page-turning deliciousness. Let's get into that magical mixture of the art and science of creativity. Here's J.T. Crowley, author of The Smart Kids and your podcast host. Hello, I'm J.T. Crowley, and today I'm pleased to announce I have another new author for you all, Peggy Jager, to talk about two of the books she has written about out of all the numerous ones she's written. The Sheriff and the Psychic, the first book in the Renewal series, and it's Witch O'Clock Somewhere, the third book in the Romantic Haunting series. Peggy is from the state of New Hampshire in the United States. So let's invite her on the show to talk about herself and her books. Now, she, at her last count, thinks she's written 38 books, everybody, but there's more in the pipeline. And she thinks she's got 10 series out. (laughs) Peggy, it's been a huge pleasure working on your books. Come and join me. Hi, everybody. Hi, John. How are you all doing today? We're all doing great. And I have to say, when I've looked at your two books, they are absolutely phenomenal. Both of them. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Peggy, can we start off by telling everybody a little about yourself and how you came to write, particularly the romantic suspense and the paranormal genres you've recently ventured into? There's a lot of things that go bump in the night in these books. Spill the beans here. What makes you get up every day and write these phenomenal books? Oh, I, I thank you for that categorization. I, I'm thrilled to hear somebody say that to me about my books. Um, it's really, it's not that, you know, hard of a story to tell. I was that kid that was always writing and reading when she was little. I got my very first diary when I was eight years old. And instead of writing about the daily events of an eight-year-old, I started writing a series of adventures about a little girl who was kind of like me, an only child who liked dogs and cats and who didn't have any friends. And she would go all over the world and meet all these interesting other children and learn new things. Um, That love of writing as a child bloomed into adulthood. Um, I'm a registered nurse by trade. I've written quite a few nursing articles for trade magazines. But I always had in the back of my mind fiction stories that I just wanted to burst out and tell everybody. So fast forward many, many years. Um, When I was 53 years old, I was going through absolutely the worst menopause Mother Nature ever gave a woman. Um, And from it, I was diagnosed with chronic menopause-induced insomnia. So basically, that means I sleep even to this day one or two hours a night. I never get more sleep than that during the day. And because I was awake all night, I didn't want to keep my husband up. So I would go into our little office and I started typing a story that had been rummaging around in my brain. And in three months, I had the very first romance story that I had ever written. I didn't know if it was any good. Like I said, I had written nonfiction for so many years. This was totally a fictionalized story. So um, I joined Romance Writers of America, and I found out that they do monthly contests. So I entered my book in the contest. You had to send the first three chapters. Um, and I got notification that my first three chapters won the Contemporary Romance Division. The judge was a woman by the name of Rhonda Penders who was the editor and the publisher of the Wild Rose Press. She emailed me and said, do you have any more of this story? And I said, I have a whole book. I don't know if it's any good. She said, let me be the judge of that. And I sent it to her. And just like Cinderella at the ball, 
instead of the prince bringing me a glass slipper, Rhonda Penders brought me a publishing contract. Wow. And I never looked back. And that was, that was seven years ago. And since then, I've written 38 or 39 books. I don't know the exact number. And I have 10 more on the docket for this year. So I've never looked back. And in the beginning, I wrote just contemporary romance. Um, I've always liked to read spy stories. I'm one of those people that listens to all those Netflix murder shows and murder podcasts. So I tried my hand at romantic suspense, loved it, got very good reviews for the books that I wrote. And paranormal is another thing. Who doesn't love a ghost story that can turn into a love story? So I decided to start writing. Let's get into these books then, Peggy. Peggy, let's go to your book. It's Witch O'Clock Somewhere, the third book in your romantic haunting series, which is all about the complex relationship between a reformed bad boy and a 10th generation witch, everybody. 20 years ago, Declan Wolf was the bad guy. He was trailer trash. When he left on his motorbike leaving the town, they looked down on his dysfunctional family and the girl he loved. But now he's back, rich and successful. Gigi is the girl he left and is now a well-respected real estate agent with her own business. But not many people know what she's really about. Peggy, briefly, what's this book about and this series? Well, the Romantic Haunting series is a bunch of different books about witches, ghosts, and goblins. Um, this book itself is what I call a redemption story. Uh, you did a beautiful intro. You know, a bad boy leaves town, leaves the only girl he's ever loved. She stays behind. She still harbors a little resentment that he left without her. There were circumstances she couldn't leave. Um, but now he's come back 20 years later to prove to the town that he wasn't quote-unquote trailer trash, that he made something of himself, and he's trying to redeem himself with the girl that he loves. Um, Gigi Jean-Vivi is a 10th generation witch. She's a twin. Her brother is an empathic healer. Um, and this book tells the story of Gigi and, De- and Declan's resurgence into love. There always was love. It got buried for a little while, but now it's come back to, to them again. I love a second um, chance story. Oh, absolutely. And so there are 19 chapters in this book, everybody. Now, just to give you a flavor of what the book is about, we can't read all 19 because we'd be here forever and a day and we've also got another book to do. So we're going to go to four of the chapters. Um, let's open the book, Peggy, so as to give the listeners an insight as to what's going on here. Chapter one, you start off with giving us a little background to Gigi, sometimes known in the book as Genevieve, Jenny. She's a twin. She's built up a successful real estate business in the local town, and her brother is Gavin Gordon. He's a lawyer, and you've also mentioned what other things he does, but not many know what she really is, this 10th generation witch. Declan Wolf, owner of Weber Developing, comes back on the scene to redevelop a part of the town that has been neglected. Or has he come back for something else? Tell us. Well, that's the question, isn't it? Um, I kind of think in the beginning, he came back because he wanted to prove to the town 
that he wasn't the person that they thought he was. His parents, his parents were not very good parents. Um, his father was an alcoholic. His mother was a schizophrenic who took her own life. Um, that's when Declan decided to leave town. Uh, right after her death, because the whispers in town were just getting to him. He loved Gigi. He wanted her to go with him. She couldn't at the time because her own mother was ill um, and she and her brother were caring for her. So she couldn't decide to leave her mother for this boy that she gave had given her life to. And they were very young. They were both 18. They just graduated from high school. Um, they had their lives to live. So Declan left and came. Now he's back and he wants to redeem himself in everyone's eyes. And it's, it's, a it's a wonderful is, story. And, you know, when I look at the beautiful way that you have written the romance scenes, they're very delicate, they're powerful, um, almost to the point of teasing. That's what I thought. You know, and I think I'm going to give you credit here. They are written beautifully. You've done the sex scenes fabulously well. Fabulously well. Thank you. But, Peggy, let's go to Chapter 6, because, as I said, this is all about giving you guys a tantalising glimpse into the books. If you want to know more, buy them. <laughs> chapter 6. Now, I, I chose this one deliberately because this involves Aphrodite Chloris, Declan's landscape artist. Every man's, wait for this, this is my own interpretation, everybody, every man's flirting dream. Daughter of Miko Chloris, the founder of Bloom.com. But she's a shrewd businesswoman with a son, Alex, and the male nanny, which I believe in the United States you call a manny. Because her son has got some various, you know, um, disabilities, everybody. But as far as Gigi is concerned, you've certainly thrown the cat amongst the pigeons here with this character, Aphrodite. Is this you, Peggy Jager? creating tension in the book to keep the reader's attention? It's actually, yes, that's the first reason. Um, Declan's been gone for 20 years. Gigi doesn't know who he's been involved with. She doesn't even know if he's been married. Has he been in a long-term relationship? And then all of a sudden, this beautiful woman comes to town who's everything that Gigi's not. She's tall. She's thin. Gigi is short and curvaceous. She's got long blonde hair. Gigi has short, curly black hair. Um, she's everything that Gigi always wanted to be physically, but couldn't be because you can't change your genetics. So when Aphrodite comes on scene and you see how close her and Declan are, it does spark some jealousy in Gigi. And she actually questions him. She asks, are you guys lovers? And he can't even begin to believe that she would ask that question. But the other reason I threw Aphrodite in there is because as a romance writer, your bread and butter is in series romance. Now, remember, Gigi has a twin brother named Gavin. Gavin also has psychic abilities. He is an empathic uh, healer. Um, Aphrodite's son has very many health issues. So you can just see that the next book in this series is going to involve a relationship between Aphrodite, Evan, and her son. So There's those are the two like... reasons I <laughs> There's nothing like in getting a good plug-in for the new book, is there? You know, and it's not a bad thing to do, actually. Absolutely. Why not? Um, Let's go to to chapter 10 in the book, Peggy. For me, this is you. Again, you're ratcheting up the tension. You're cranking up the many twists in this riveting, compelling book of yours. 
You talk about Declan's building project, his past, which not everyone in the town has forgotten, his dysfunctional family, and you've already touched upon that. This really was, um, maybe his leaving was a cry for help. That's what I think. And you talk about here in this chapter, the salacious journalism, especially the, the story that Kevin Crawley wrote on him. But what Gigi did, whoa, wow, everybody, um, because she didn't like this story. So she threw something at him. And, of course, she's a witch. So let's not forget, you know, this is a powerful, powerful, powerful chapter, everybody, with lots of twists in it. And, of course, just slightly on a lighter note, the glamorous cello sisters who run the coffee shop Java Hunt. This is quite a chapter with lots of going on here. Did you enjoy writing this and creating this chapter? Especially you know, I did, and the I, romance in the cemetery scene. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That is, that is, I did enjoy it a lot, and I think the the fact that this scene has so much in it, this chapter has so much in it, and it took place in a cemetery where Gigi was visiting his mother. He hasn't been back since his mother died. Um, when he became rich and famous, he actually had a plot made for her. Um, a, a, funeral post made for her he's never visited so she takes him to visit that and then she asked do you want to go see where your father is buried and he wants nothing to do with that because you know his father is the reason um he feels his life was ruined and then you visit Gigi's ancestors which were so different from his their upbringings couldn't have been more different so I wanted to show the real differences in the way that they were raised and loved and not loved as children, and yet they still have so much in common. And yes, I loved hexing Kevin Crawley, who we all call Creepy Crawley, in the book because he's a horrible yellow journalist. The fact that she used her power, she is a white witch, and the fact that she used a little bit of that power in a black magic kind of way gave me a great deal of satisfaction, writing that scene and, and imagining how awful he felt for that week afterwards. And I won't no. give away what she did to him. But no. I, want I mean, to read. Declan was a little bit surprised that she did that. And I think yeah, he was a little bit annoyed with her. I wouldn't say annoyed. Um, I think he's a man, so men like to fight their own battles. And the fact that she was his champion gave him a sense of, you know, wonder. He's thrilled that she did, but also he doesn't ever want to be seen as weak and that he can't find his own battles. So I think it was a little dichotomous emotion there for him. You know, but I, I did again, love that. And again, the, the how you wrote the uh, romance scene in the cemetery, it was sensual, spot on, teasing, and lifts the reader and, you know, lets the reader formulate their own ideas as to what's going on there. It is very delicately written, everybody. Believe you me. Thank um, you, sir. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Peggy, I want to go to Chapter 17 now, because the whole idea is, as I said, give people a flavour. Um, and I chose Chapter 17 because this is another poignant chapter in the book, and it's towards the end, but it's got a real twist to it. You know, the papers are on the coffee table, 
And Gigi is thinking, has Declan lied to her? Is he leaving again? And she's starting to think, well, he left her the last time, but she's not going to let him leave this time and make it so easy for him. It's Halloween, and Gigi is uh, undertaking the ancient ritual of the Sam Hain ceremony. Gavin is the candy man, and Nera is the, oh, I always thought, the intriguing cat. So again, this is another busy chapter you've got here. This is you, again, tightening the tension, riveting up the notchet, you know, keeping the listener gripped. Did you set this chapter out in this way to do exactly that? Well, thank you for saying that because that's what I was hoping to achieve. Um, the chapter opens with um, Declan watching Gigi do her private Samhain ceremony. He doesn't think that he doesn't realize that's what he's watching until he comes upon her. And just watching her and knowing how powerful she is and knowing how powerful her love is really affects him. And this is um, this is a point in the book where he has decided that nothing matters anymore but her. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks of him. It doesn't matter that he came back to restore his reputation. The only thing that matters is what she thinks of him and what she feels for him. Now, by mistake, he's left something, not by mistake, I think because it's his house. He's left something out that she interprets incorrectly. Um, and she's terrified that he will up and leave her again, as you said. So she sets about a plan to let him know just how much his leaving will not destroy her like it did the first time. And we all know that it will destroy her. So she's setting herself up for heartache, but she'll never let him see that. And I have to say one thing I love about this whole book, the cat, Nira. Nira is her white cat. And if you know Italian or Spanish or any of the Romance languages, Nira is the word or the etymology of black. So to give a white cat the actual name of black really was a, a funny little, I don't know, twist that I put in there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I put that in there about the cat because I just got the sense that when she sees, the cat sees, um, you know, Declan, she's not impressed with him. She's, you know, she casts him a, a disparaging eye, you know, what are you doing here? Go away. That's sort of, you know, but there you go, everyone. As to I what think the that's other... exactly Absolutely. And so what the other two chapters are towards the end of that book, everybody, well, go and read the book. I'm not saying. <laughs> I think it's absolutely, woo. Peggy, let's take the listeners' viewers now to the renewal series. The first book in that series is The Sheriff and the Psychic. So this is the second book, everybody, of the uh, podcast. It's the story of police psychic Sylvestra Coltrane, who's come to renewal a rural farming community in Oklahoma to visit old friends Jake and Mabel, as well as to heal from a dramatic year which, she has, which has tested her physically, mentally, and psychologically. Caleb Black Bear is the local handsome sheriff. He has a relationship with her, but what and who is she? Sylvester's psychic visions within the community expose her and Cal 
to unwanted experiences. Deaths pop up all over this book, both in the animal kingdom and the human kingdom. Peggy, I think this is you at your best. My goodness, thank Talk you. Talk to me about this book. Um, I I love psychics. I I was one of those people that loved watching Medium when it was on television. Um, It's just something to me that if you can see what's going to happen or if you know something that's been happened, I think we all have a little intuition in us. I wanted to explore what that would be for a character. Um, She has a very tragic past. Uh, Her past doesn't define her, but it certainly adds to her mystery when she comes to the town of Renewal to rest and and recuperate. Um, And I love the relationship between her and Cal because they're both outsiders. Um, When Sylvester's psychic abilities became known as a child, she was haunted and hunted by paparazzi, by people that wanted her to help them, and she was vilified in school. Caleb, because he's half Apache Indian and half American, half English, um, was always vilified in school as well. So they both know what it feels like to be outsiders, um, as do I. So I wanted to write a book about, you know, again, maybe it's a redemption story in a way, but I wanted to write a book about what it feels like to be an outsider and to triumph. Okay. Let's go to, I mean, there are 15 chapters in this book, everybody. So let's go through the first chapter. You introduce, sorry, I'll even say the word right in a minute. You introduce. <laughs> to me a lot of characters here we've got Caleb which you uh, in the book you refer to as Cal he's the sheriff um Sylvester who you very often in the book refer to as Shy S-H-Y that's her nickname you've got um Harv who's the deputy sheriff then you've got Jake and Mabel who live on a ranch and who are Sylvester's uh friends um do they know about her past? I think they do. Then we've got the Bolton family, you know, the ranchers, one of the ranchers, you know, with the big ranch in Oklahoma. You've got Nate, the old man, Priscilla, Caleb's ex, and Ethan, her, hmm, her brother, <laughs> who I think has got an axe to grind. This is you setting the initial scene to kickstart not only this book, but the series. Why the setting? Why the storyline? Well, because um, I didn't want to write a story about Sylvester solving human murders. Um, she Usually in New York, she works with the police to find missing children. That's her forte. For some reason, she's able to, to clip in on kids who have gone missing or who have been abduct- abducted. I didn't want to do that because a lot of people do that kind of a story. I thought doing, putting it in a rural setting and having animal murders, um, in this case, ranchers' uh, cattle, because it's a big ranching community, um, was a different twist on, on that. And the very fact that she could connect psychically with an animal was very appealing to me. Because um, I believe animals, and I think most people believe it, animals feel, think just the way we do. They experience pain, love, anguish. Lots of different things. So I wanted her to be able to do that. So that's why I put it in the rural setting and why I gave it um, a ranching background. Chapter four is fascinating. Um, Sylvester has another psychic moment at Jake and Mabel's house. You describe um, the psychic process, you know, what she goes through. So she she knows she's going through it. It's not a dream because she has bodily functions that change and she's getting into this, uh, which you go through. 
And Cal learns that she's a psychic who has assisted the police in the past and is curious, has she done some famous, um, has she resolved some famous um, crimes, you know, some cases? Um, but more cattle die, you know, mysteriously on another ranch, you know, the Camden Ranch. Uh, we learn a little, about, a little bit more about her past, her personal life, her husband Paul and Giovanni, her son as well as Cal's determination to develop a personal relationship here. Again, this is another busy chapter, um, you might say. Care to open up here as to why you're talking about all this? Sure. Um, in the story, you don't find out what happened to Sylvester's husband and son until way past the midsection. Um, she reveals that to Cal once they've been intimate uh, because she feels he needs to know it. And But the problem with that is he already knows it because he went and he researched her. Uh, I wanted to show the physiological changes that happen to her when she starts having a vision to just reinforce that she's not a charlatan, that she's not a fake. I mean, we've all heard and read stories about fake psychics who predict the future or who can find things, and they're just not real. Um, I believe by giving her all these physiological changes that really reinforce the fact that this is a true, quote unquote, gift for her, um, that's also a curse. And having um, the vision come the way it did and having Caleb be so accepting of it was something that I had to really wrestle with because he's a lawman. He deals in facts. I figured he would think she's a charlatan. But once they were able to see that her vision had come true, then he was a believer. So I thought that was very good at forming and reinforcing their relationship, their budding relationship. Oh, Absolutely. And I think none so more. Let's go to chapter nine. Now, I love this chapter, everyone, but it's full of drama. Everything is kicking off. You've got all the local ranchers in Cal's office in uproar as to what's going on between the, all the cattle killings. Um, you know, things, matters getting personal, especially Priscilla. She really throws some charges at Cal here. And Ethan's can throw a temper or two. Cal starts to realise shy, well, she's not quite the delicate flower he initially thought she was. She's not. She's quite capable, everybody, to a certain degree of holding her own uh, stand. She's not that delicate little flower. Um, and, of course, Rand Denny, he's, now he's the best, and he is, he's starting to formulate an idea. He's getting an inkling what is behind all the cattle deaths, chemical intervention. Hmm, let's hold that thought, everybody. And again, you have, you know, the sex scene, the romance scene, the is very sensual and it's a passionate love scene. And then after that, you take us into something totally different. You throw us throw into the mix a murder. Well, everybody, wasn't expecting that. You know, Cal's ex, just to muddy the waters. Now, you know um, how to grab the attention of the readers. So where are you taking the readers here with, with, with this one? You know, here you are, your, your delicate, beautiful romance scenes. And then, oh, yes, we've done that bit. Oh, here's a murder. Tell us. Well, in real life, it's not all blooms and roses all the time. Um, oh, it isn't. This chapter... 
This chapter was basically written to throw suspicion by the ranchers off Sylvestra and on to Cal. They don't know what's going on. Now, I think you said that Cal's ex was murdered, so that's already out of the bag. So when Priscilla is found um, killed, most of the people that are in the story do believe he could have done it because they had a very loud argument at the ranchers' meeting um, to the point where Ethan had to be pulled off of him because he was going to hit Cal and they were going to fight. And there's no love lost between those two. So to put that um, jarring ending to that scene in what was really a beautiful love scene quite prior to that was that to, to, was um, purposefully done to set up the next chapter where they try to find out who really is responsible for killing Priscilla and for all the cattle murders. And in, at this point in the story, you realize Sylvester is in a great deal of jeopardy. Exactly. Now let's hold that thought. Let's go to uh, Peggy chapter 13. This is all around, you know, the knife attack that Cal received from Ethan, the hospital, the surgery on his shoulder, Shy's fear of losing Cal. Shy leaves for a book tour starting in Boston. Um, that's what Cal discovers. She's trying to say goodbye to Cal because what she fears most is that in her own life, you know, love means pain. It's a heartache. It's a loss, which she can't handle. And that's why she really came to Renewal to get away from this. Because all the people that she loves or develops, from, she, she has these visions and she thinks that she's responsible for some of the goings on in their own personal life. Should she have warned them? So she's running away here because she love hurts her because she fears that if something, she sees something, it's just going to be harmful to both. This is what this book is all about, isn't it? I think it is. I think it's um, learning that you can't change circumstances just because you know a secret or you know something and you, you know, many people will, will take psychics out of the mess. If you know a secret about somebody that you know will hurt them, but could also help them, where does your responsibility lie? Do you protect them by not telling them something that you know will hurt them, but you know they really should know it so that they can make an informed decision? This goes back to how Sylvester's son and husband were killed. Um, she, she had a vision of what was going to happen, and she couldn't get to them soon enough. And that's what started her breakdown. So now she knew she had seen Cal get attacked in her mind, she should have told him. She didn't because she didn't want to believe. She wanted to believe she could change the ending. And obviously you couldn't. You can't change what's going to happen. So, again, I said at the beginning, this could actually be a redemption story as well. Um, so I think setting it up that way with her leaving, it doesn't prove that she's a coward. It proves that she's willing to sacrifice what she loves best so that she doesn't bring harm on anybody else. What she loves best right now is Calvin. Calvin. You know, her psychic... Yeah, oh, absolutely. You see, everybody, her psychic visions, they're a burden to her, aren't they? Um, and I think this is what you're trying to get across. 
and I think you, you're trying to get this across deliberately. These psychic visions, she, I think she wished that she could never have, she, she never had this ability. They're troublesome. That's exactly, that's exactly right. In the beginning of the book, she even, when she, when her and Cal are forming a relationship, she tells him about all the times that she saw things when she was in school. And she told her parents, her parents tried to notify the school to let them know something was going to happen. Nobody believed her. And then something tragic happened. So she has to live with that burden that her visions could potentially bring harm because people aren't listening to her, which is why I wanted to make her the finder of children, because that's a happy ending. If you can find children who have gone missing or have been abducted and you can find them in their hole and their life, that's a happy ending. You know, that doesn't always happen to her. She's, she's had some tragedies with that too. But um, I think you've hit the nail on the head. This being a psychic is an absolute gift from God, but it's also the bane of her existence. It's a terrible curse and it's a burden. And how do you balance the positive with the negative when you when you know something that could potentially change somebody's life but you don't you don't feel that you should tell them absolutely and if you want to know more about this uh, book and this renewal series everyone i'm just going to bluntly say go and get the books they are fascinating <laughs> um peggy you've already touched on this what's next for you and your writing well, like I said, I have at least 10 books on the doctorate this year. I've written two of them. One is a sweet romance that's part of a series. It's called Always a Bridesmaid. Um, it, it tracks a bunch of women who are the last in their line of friends and family members, and they're always the bridesmaid at a wedding and never the bride. Um, I have an anthology with four other authors coming out in March. Um, it's a generational ghost story. It starts in the 1700s in New Hampshire, and it follows a bunch of ghosts who live in a tavern up until the present day. I wrote the present day book. Um, I've got book two in the renewal series coming out. I've got book four in the romantic hauntings coming out. Plus I've got my matchmaker series, the next book, and I've got my welcome to Dickens book for Christmas coming out. Plus there's a couple more peppered in there somewhere along the line. So hopefully we'll have 10 on the docket this year. Um, that'll all get out. I'll be happy if I get eight. Oh, and I have a new romantic suspense coming out from the Wild Rose Press. Do you get time to breathe? <laughs> you know, that question gets asked a lot, but remember what I told you at the beginning of this oh. beautiful podcast, that I have diagnosed um chronic menopausal insomnia. I do not sleep more than one to two, three hours at the most night. My body just doesn't shut down. My brain never shuts down. So, you know, in every 24 hours, I'm probably typing or creating 16, 17, 18 of those hours. So the answer is yes, I take a breath, but I don't take a nap. Wow. Peggy, who do you see as the market for your book? But more importantly, who would you like to see reading your book? Do you think this is a book just purely, your series you'd write purely for women? Or do you think men should read your books? I know men that have read my books, and I'm not only speaking of my husband, um, and they Me? really, really love you, yes, thank you. They really enjoy the romantic suspense series, The Pride of Brothers and Cooking with Candy, and they really like the paranormals. So I would say 
you know, I, I tend to write older characters. I don't have any 22-year-olds in my books as main characters because I'm not 22 and haven't been for years. Um, so I usually write women in their late 30s, early 40s, men same. So I would think that market, the, the mid to late 30s till up to, you know, you can't read anymore age group is really who I think these books are marketed for. There you go, everyone. Where can people get your books from, Peggy? Um, I have, you know, I'm I'm widely distributed. Most of my books, you can find all of them in Barnes & Noble. All of my independent, excuse me, you can find all of my books in Amazon. Uh, most of my independent books are on are in Barnes and Noble, Apple Books, Google, and I just recently um, formed a relationship with Smashwords. So most of my independent books are in Smash Books too. But if you're looking for a list of my books, you can just go on my website. That's PeggyJager.com, and I have a listing, a tab, a drop down of all of my books and where to find them. Peggy Jager, thank you so much for coming on my show. I have thoroughly enjoyed your books, and for me. It was the sheriff and the psychic, the paranormal. It was just wonderful. Not to say that uh, Witch O'Clock somewhere, um, you know, isn't interesting. It really is. But it for me, the sheriff and the psychic just had that age. But that's just my opinion, everybody. Well, John, I hope you read book two in the series, the, Ma- the Rancher Meets His Match. That one comes out sometime this year. And I'll be sure I let you know when it does. I hope we'll be doing some more podcasts chatting together. Who knows, everybody? So I'm JT Crowley. Thanks for listening, watching wherever you are in the world. So until next time, everybody, stay safe.